Thanks to Cryo Malt. This is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News. And as ever, I'm joined by Mr. Beer himself, my good friend, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. G'day, Matt. G'day, listeners. How are we all? It's ex- No, I can't do that. I'm actually, <laughs> yeah, I'm actually fairly dusty. So if, I, um, <laughs> if there's a long, thoughtful pause after one of your questions, Matt, <laughs> if you could just press the buzz button just to wake me back up again. Um, no worries at all. Fair it has been a fairly long week, but um, enjoyably exhausting, I think, is the best way to sum it up. Uh, it, it's just been a celebration of uh, all things that are great about beer in this country. Um, it's been significant feedback from uh, overseas guests who have commented on the vibrancy and the uh, enthusiasm that's, that's apparent here. Um, but more importantly, just a few comments of, oh, yeah, been here before. The thing I notice most uh, improvement in is the quality, which I think mm. is the um, is is very very pleasing. We, we we might and there's a couple of elements we want to sort of talk about, but we are recording this on Tuesday the uh, what are we the 24th Tuesday 24th, Tuesday the second 24th. day after Good Beer Week that went for that's it, yes. 14 days. If you were um, G, GBW plus two, that's it. Um, and uh, you obviously had a very full program. Um, Quite apart from uh, just what I saw you involved in, we had our um, Q&A on Wednesday at the Cry Malt uh, Trade Hub. Yep, the Trade Hub. Cruise Lounge at the Trade Hub. Um, then Thursday night, you hosted the Australian International Beer Awards with uh, the beer diva, Kiralee Walthorn. Um, and then you went straight into Gabs on Friday. Where How many sessions did you host at Gabs? Uh, well, there were five sessions of Gabs, two Friday, two Saturday, one Sunday. And within each one, we had um, three seminars within each one so pretty much you know mm. sort of you know one o'clock two o'clock three o'clock um in each in each of the sessions uh or you know 7 38 39 30 which were very well attended and interestingly because it's one of those things you know you're going into it for the fifth year and you're thinking oh you know do we need to freshen it up is there something new we can do and all of a sudden 80 people turn up and you say oh you know who's who's here for the first time and 90 percent of the room are first timers to gab so therefore first timers to craft beer college it shows that there's a really keen interest in in beer, uh, in meeting the brewers, because uh, you know, look for a lot of it. It's yeah, we 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 kind of know all these brewers, although we do try to. Uh, and and a little quick shout out while we can to Luke Robertson who organised the schedule this year. And look, despite uh, the fact that it's like trying to herd cats, uh, where you know, there's the odd hiccup here and there with, with scheduling issues, um, but it all went really well, and the feedback was sensational. Good on him. Uh, shout out to uh, Luke from Ale of a Time, of course. Yeah, so, sorry, Luke Robertson from Ale of a Time. Yeah, he he um, was charged with uh, herding cats and um, getting all the brewers to commit to a session and uh, of, of uh, Q and Ales up at Craft awesome. Craft College. Well, while we're talking, Gabs, because I mean, which is just it's just a question of which piece of good beer week we pick up. But we are talking about Gabs. Thoughts, Prof. Uh, Somewhere in amongst the most enjoyable festival I've ever been to, um, and and this and I'm not you know that I'm I'm not um, the kind who who sort of leans easily into hyperbole um, or or even hyperbole. Um, the most amazingly fun and enjoyable festival I've ever been to that I think actually had some beer in it somewhere. It, it was almost secondary. This time round, couldn't agree more. Look, and, and every year we talk about that venue is just designed, like that building is just that is designed built for a beer for festival. That sort of <laughs> beer festival, 
but as we've seen it evolve, um, just sort of seen the, you know, you, you walk in quite apart from the Yender wheel, which you know, is awesome in itself. Um, and you need, and it shows the what the large brewers bring yep. to yep. to the party. Which incidentally is why, you know, the, the, the large brewers need to stop making themselves look small because they do have the size to bring in those sorts of things. And, you know, once you bring in Ferris wheels and you've got, a fleet of 20 uh, hand-painted caravans around the country, maybe it's time to stop pretending it's just Mikko and John down in the shed uh, knocking out a few beers. But that said, you know, they, 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 did, they bring a real vibrancy and uh, wow with what they do. And while we're on that topic uh, too, just quickly, Matt, um, $10,000 raised. Uh, so they, Yenda basically hired the wheel, bought the wheel in um, from um, uh, somewhere way up north, uh, um, bought it down, did all the branding for it, the, um, all proceeds, so $4 a shot per person. Um, and every every now and then, on the hour, you'd the, a random opportunity to uh, have a beer tasting with a brewer um, on the Ferris wheel. Uh, all proceeds to cure for MND and $10,000 raised over the three days. Fantastic result. So, no, that, that was good to see. So, uh, and, and actually, the other thing I noticed, quite apart from they expanded, the food had moved upstairs and things, the effort that the brewers put into their stands, you know, there, a, a there card is nowhere uh, to hire anymore, hide anymore. Everyone's yeah, a card table game. and uh, yeah, um, and even uh, like a year or two ago, it was only the a couple of venues that had really um, flash uh, displays. This year, you know, if if you're just serving at a card table, you're just not getting much attention. I actually asked Steve um, Jeffers in the the thirty seconds I got to speak to him. Uh, you know, is there a prize for brewers to have the best display, as I think Bivana has had in the past? And there wasn't. They just um, there is, there is no in, yeah. There's no uh, there's no incentivization. There's no inducement for the brewers to do it. It's just uh, and I think look, um, big reps to Josh Ruffle um, and Pete as well, of course, from from um, Garage Project, who have really sort of sung the song of you know if if we're asking our punters to pay thirty plus dollars to come to a festival then they deserve a show. That, that's, their, that's their philosophy. They should, you should be entertained when you get in. It shouldn't be a bland, drab sort of affair where you just go along looking at the same old, same old, same old. It should be, wow, look at that. What's going on here? And one of the, one of the best comments, and I can't remember if it was you, um, we discussed, uh, you and I discussing this uh, in the short time that we were together at Gabs, but the feedback from some people, it's overwhelming. There's just too much going on. And I think that's the best thing because you go, well, buy a second session, come, you know, come back again. Buy a second session, but also it means that you're not, you know, a beer festival where there's nothing apart from drinking, that's when you get the dickheads. Um, yeah. You know, the, yep. the, the last two hours are actually a bit of a misery because you've just got all of the dickheads there. Yeah. Um, and, and I have to admit, like, I was there for the Friday session. Um, there was that. I, I ended up missing my flight out of Melbourne. I was oh, you flying, didn't? Uh, yeah, yeah, I missed the flight. Oops. So let, let's not talk about that. So I left you, um, Matt. I left you with plenty of time to get to your plane. Yes, you did. did. You, you did. Did you make a detour on the way back to the airport? No, no, no. You just can't get out of there because it is, you know. I, I, oh, so when there. I actually said goodbye so, to so, you, you, you didn't actually then leave. It was probably half an hour right. to, to travel the fifty metres from where I left you to the the, the the front gate, and then ran into someone out the front. And you know, you can't brush everybody and things like that. So, and then just getting in, and then Melbourne airport traffic, traffic which yeah. I hadn't allowed for. Um, it's never taken me more than an hour to get to the airport, and it was about an hour and twenty. Um, so I was cutting it fine at the best of times, but anyway, but so there was so much going on. Um, it, it is, but it, it means that you're not, you don't have to just stand there and drink to feel that you've got your money's worth, and that is a real credit to um, 
you know, the Steve and uh, Guy and, and the whole... Yeah, exactly. And, and because there is a lot of thought that goes into it. And those lucky enough to be in Sydney uh, this weekend, the Friday and Friday night session and two Saturday sessions, so an extra session this year, um, we'll see what we're talking about in terms of the effort that's put in, um, minus the Ferris wheel this time, obviously, but people gathering around Circus Trick Tees or the Ale Capones, who are the, um, the, bra the roving brass band, and there's, just this, there's yeah. just this seething, heaving sense of community around these. And everyone's got a beer in their hand, but nobody's going, oh, I just want to punch a stranger. You know, everyone's going, <laughs> how good is this? Everyone's like, and first note to last note, Bohemian Rhapsody on a single snare drum, a piano accordion, trumpet and saxophone is just the most amazing thing you will ever see. With There would have been 600, 700 people all around shouting every word. Maybe that will become Gab's You'll Never Walk Alone, <laughs> one of those. <laughs> it could be. But then, bang, then you go straight into Come On Eileen. Or, uh, you know, there's just so much going on. And as I say, it was all uh, beer-related. Everyone was enjoying beer. But it was like, look at the circus. Look at these guys, you know, uh, backflipping and cartwheelie thingying. And, oh, what's going on over here? And now there's something else happening over here. It was just, just in incredible. Mick Fanning was almost a, a, a postscript, you know, <laughs> like... The, the famous people there were almost like they were in, in amongst it as well. Which is fantastic. And, and, and again, that, that's great because I'm, I'm sure they don't want to, you know, they would rather be there pouring their beer or focusing on things other than themselves for a festival, I, I, I guess. I, I, I don't know. But, um, but yeah, no, but Prof, all, all raving and, and things aside, um, what did, did you try the Gab's beers? I did. Know, which is... I, I, I'm very lucky. I get to pretty much sip, uh, as I say, we have... Uh, Two sessions of Q&As with, um, if they all turn up, five brewers each time, um, times five sessions. So I get to try a good chunk of the um, of the beers. Uh, as I say, when I've got free time, the bars aren't open, and so I don't tend to get to the the, the container bars to, to, to sort of try, you know, pick and choose Gabs Festival beers. Mm. So I get the ones that are brought up to me, I guess, with the along with the brewers. Uh, and mm. most of them um, would, as I say, standard of quality, was particularly uh, noticeable uh, that it had lifted. And uh, overall, some of the beers perhaps didn't work. Uh, were, it's polarising, it's fair to say. I'm going to give a shout-out to um, Colonial Brewing Company. The, the, the Reuben, which a bit of smoked malt and a bit of rye for the you know your sort of pastrami, mm -hmm. corned beef kind of thing. Uh, the sour dill pickle note throughout it was just absolutely insanely refreshing and Reuben-esque. As in Reuben sandwich esque. Um, okay, and but but that was a, a fairly polarising beer. That was one I thought the idea, crazy as it was, was executed technically beautifully. Yep. Okay. I, I guess I, I didn't drink as widely as you did, and you were also drinking with the the, the, the brewers who were talking about their beer. Always hard um, to bag a beer when you're. Uh, looking into the eyes of the brewer who made it. It, it, it can be very hard, and, and, and also where you get the backstory behind it. Um, I just took a I, – I didn't read the, the book or anything like that. I just sort of went up and read on, on the board and took a representative sampling from some brewers who I know, uh, you know, their, their, their works and some that I just wanted to think, well, do you, you know, what have they done? Yep. And, mate, I, look, I have to say the beers, uh, you know, of probably the 10 that I tried, it was probably 50%, um, I reckon, just weren't of merchantable quality. 
Um, one in particular, and I, I believe I even shared that with you. And I, I don't, I don't want to call anybody out I don't know. I... Um, specifically, but I think there was one beer in particular that I just had to share with you. That, quite apart from what the beer was meant to be, it just wasn't. Um, and you know, it, it, it for, for me, like it, it left a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. Excuse the pun. Um, I'm sure, it wasn't a sour. Of, <laughs> Well, there were a lot of beers that were meant to be, and there were a couple that weren't. Um, and it was just something that, you know, I, I reflect on a little bit because I know that the thing that set Gabs apart from any of the beer festivals that went before, um, before it grew to the size that it did now, was it was the Great Australian Beer Spectacular, where it was one-off beers and it was beers that were you couldn't try anywhere else, and that was the sort the of thing that – that was the draw. Yeah. Gabs has now grown beyond that, where the festival itself is just a spectacular, with or without those Gabs beers, which is still yeah, a draw. Yeah, cool. But the event is, and particularly when you've got the number of brewers who were had stalls there and 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 those sorts of things. But given the given that the Gabs festival has reached out of that, it's certainly not in that beer geek beer bubble. You know, just preaching to the converted, trying to show them, you know, them the, the craziness of, of what beer can be and fueling those people who are you know, looking to tick or try or, or whatever, and that there is a much broader percentage of people who are outside the tent coming in, which is how the, the event will grow. Yeah, I, I really genuinely wonder what they thought about, you know, if they rock up and try beer X and it is just horrible, is that reaffirming that idea that, you know, craft beer is homebrew? I think if you walk straight up and you, and you ordered a full glass... Um, I, I think the paddle at, at uh, you know, 80 mil samples is probably a good way to suck it and see. Um, it means you're not wasting your money, but if you're still trying a beer that is, you know, and, and yeah, again, yeah, I'm, if, I'm, not, if I'm you're, not talking about If you're getting like... into, the, into the headspace, though, that walk in this, once you cross this threshold, put aside all preconceptions about what beer can be or what it should be or what it's supposed to be. And just enjoy the creative spirit. And, yeah, there are going to be some beers that you don't like in the same way that if you go to a food uh, festival, you're going to go, oh, no, I didn't like that. Oh, no, I didn't. oh wow, but, but, that's great. But, but, that's the thing, but I'm not talking about those beers like uh, your colonial example, for example, where, you know, it would polarise and it polarise, but what they set out to do, they seem to have achieved. And there was a narrative yeah, to it. I'm talking about yeah. beers that... Just you know, to, to invoke the, so the name it, of Chuck. Are you Sample? suggesting perhaps that, that some brewers perhaps leave it till a little bit late or put in beers that perhaps they wouldn't normally because it's gas? You figure because it's a one-off it. beer. They're brewing it at the volume. They're just throwing shit in a tin and seeing what comes out at the end. And the you know and and the, the, the beers, whatever their concept was, the the beer just wasn't the quality. To to, to go back to what. Charlie Bamforth said, and that's probably a discussion in itself because we posted that um, article from Charlie the other day that was quite polarising in itself. But, you know, the, the the thing that I felt Charlie was saying was it doesn't matter what you do with the, the beer, what you decide to put in it, but when somebody tries it, you know, and what you're pleasant. selling needs to be what they're, you know, what, what you're doing needs to be the same every time. And, you know, like uh, the, the example he uses, it if you, you know, how would anaesthetic be if you just said, oh, I'm a craft uh, anaesthetic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, the, but that's a completely different argument, Matt, to uh, uh, brewing a one-off beer for Gabs because you're not going to, I mean, necessarily I replicate it. It's a one-off. 
Well, well, well it is. But at the same time, the, the beer should still be... It, know, it, should, be, like it should be drinkable. I, I totally agree. Yeah. But within the parameters yeah. of, you know, it, it's, un, it's not infected. Uh, I mean, I had um, uh, Sam Heldane brought along the um, from Shenanigans. He was on the panel and bought a magnificent beer with uh, a bit of ghost chili in it. And yep. wow, there was a bit of there was a bit of stink on that. That was like it was bang, but it did what it said on the label. Um, although, yeah. although as you had the second sip, it kind of it was a cumulative effect. <laughs> oh, look, and, and I guess I'm coming from it that it is reaching out of the knowledgeable beer bubble you know the people who are well informed things like that and, and if, if, if people are trying some of these beers uh yeah and, and how do they differentiate between a well-made novelty beer you know for, for yeah. which gab's beers by and large are and a, a beer that's going for novelty well, that is just yeah, yeah, a really bad beer. And look, for those um, and for those who haven't been to gab's probably the, just a, by way of illustration you've got the container bars three of um or two of okay yeah, two at each end, and they've got the, the Gabs Festival beers in them exclusively. Then around that is the Brewers Marketplace, which is, you mm. know, there's a stone and wood stall and there's a, a four pine stall or there's a... You know, and a bolter stall, exactly. a yender, a so you, so you can pop up and talk to the sales guy, in many most cases, you know, the brewer, whatever like that. So And you can also try their regular range. And those are the beers that are, you know, the cookie cutter ones that are that should be and, and, in, general, and in general are... Um, the same consistent quality batch after batch after batch, mm. taking the Gabs beers aside. So if you're a little bit overwhelmed, you're not going to go straight to the container bars. You're probably going to wander around and, and perhaps visit some of the, oh, I noticed you've got a Gabs beer, tell me about it. Or, you know, what, you know, uh, I really like your pale ale, what other kind of beer should I try? Yeah. Yep. So I think there's, a, there's yeah. that opportunity. I, don't, I, I, I agree with you that, um, and look, I was lucky enough not to have any beers that I didn't think were, um, were of a high enough standard, but maybe that's something the guys need to, to look at because obviously they can't, I guess, oh, taste all hundred thirty beers um, to, and, yep. and then knock them back because oh no, sorry, we don't believe that that's you know you can't. You, at the end of the day, the public is the arbiter of taste. Um, yeah, and I, there, I, I, there is a responsibility on the brewers to make sure that the beer is of a merchantable quality. But I get the same, and, and I have the same experience um, every now and then when I'm in a like a, a small little startup brewery or a you know, regional brewery or something like that. That you know, you just, people say, "Oh, you know, the beer is so interesting." And then when you get there and try it, it's interesting because it's oxidised to the shit house, or it's or, or, or it's just faulty. Or, you know, yeah, it's, it's got a stink on it. Uh, and look, it's a lot of that is the you know the uh, imported factor. Mate of mine uh, at a little restaurant the other night, you know, had a, a Bex. Oh, this is a good one, mate. It's fully imported. I said, it's fully oxidised, is what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and there was a very faded, uh, I think it was August 2015, was the, the best before. Yeah. Um, but to him, it's got to be good because it's, it's got a little silver bit around the top of the bottle and it's imported and it's germ. Oh, and, and, and I guess that's another issue. And, you know, the, 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 because there are two very valid comments. One, it's a good beer because it's interesting and I don't know that it's faulty is it a fault or a feature um, yep. as we come back yep. to it's only a fault if you know it's a fault but it's yeah but but yeah ultimately i think history shows that if there is enough faulty beer sooner or later people come to realize that it is a fault not a feature and that can hurt more widely but uh look, mate, anyway, I know I'm, I'm, I'm still on a high mat so i don't want to bring this whole thing down and i do I, we've got a heap to get, to get through i'd rather look at positives and, and, and make this a whole other and, and, issue 
episode. And, and, and I'm not sort of saying, you know, it, it was just something I noticed. I mean, I, and I wanted your thoughts. And I'd, certainly, listeners, jump in, let us know your experience. We might even, I might even um, have a quick chat with uh, Sam Fletcher, who I know sets his mission every year to drink his way right through every paddle, not in the one session, um, and then comes up with his rankings and, uh, you know, get make, I respect his palate and his judgment yeah. and uh, yeah. maybe get his... I, I just uh, want his, people to know that, yeah, the, the overall celebration of beer was well worth it. I don't want, I don't want to, you know, sort of, I guess, uh, be that bloke who, who can just... I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's you, Matt, but, um, you know, who, who... We don't want to highlight that there's, you know... Um, the, the negatives, it's not, you know, the bloke who falls into a barrel of tits oh. and comes out sucking no, his thumb. No, 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 absolutely. We spent 10 minutes celebrating before, and it, it was just the, the one thing that I raised that I was sort of just musing, you know, whether or not, you know, maybe Gabs has outgrown that novelty aspect and maybe there should be, you know, just just whether rather than just have everyone who wants to submit yeah, they're they're one-off novelty beer. Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe the, it's a top 100 rather than the 130, or or trying to or, increase or, it next year. Yeah, or some vetting process. And I don't, and I'm, I'm not offering suggestions for how that would be done because that brings up a whole lot of other issues. But whether it's just uh, anyone who wants to put one in automatically gets it in, or whether there is some uh, vetting just because of the potential downside, um, or if there is a potential downside. Yeah. But listeners, as always, let us know what you think. Okay, Gabs, superb. Um, good you know, good be week as well, and, and kudos to. Um, like big ups to all of the the Good Beer Week um, committee uh, who must be who won't be listening to this because they'll be sound asleep. Uh, a magnificent effort yet again. Absolutely. Any highlights uh, for you, Prof? Any uh, the AIBA awards went very well. Yeah, as did um, the, um, the the trade and exhibitors tasting uh, of the gold medal and trophy beers the following day, which is always good. And, and interestingly, uh, it happens every year, but uh, you pity the poor person who's uh, um, pouring the um, lagers, pilsners, lighter styles, uh, they just get no one to talk to. It's just, it's just everyone flocking around the uh, the big ass beers, and the one, and, and you know, because it's the ones that they, you know, when are we going to ever be here again? And it's to taste yep. what other people are doing. What, what one? Why is my beer different to that? Oh, okay, yeah, bang, 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 all that sort of stuff. So, and well done to all at the AIBA and the RASB too for continually looking to get a connection between the consumer. And the uh, and the awards make the the awards even more relevant or more obvious uh, each year. Absolutely, and, and they do a good job. And from the first year that I went, which was probably around about two thousand and two thousand six, two thousand seven. Yeah, wow. Uh, yeah, so ten going back yeah. ten years. Um, when beers were, you know, everyone's walking around drinking beers in bottles. They just had trays of beers, you know, on a in the stubby. Yeah. No glassware, no attempt at beer and food matching. They just had, you know, who, whichever of the big breweries wanted to fill a nice bucket on the table. Um, they've really brought that along. And I thought, for considering how many people are there, Pete? Five or six hundred? Uh, no, closer to eight hundred. Eight hundred, but it is a it is a big ballroom filled with people, and it's hard to do food, you know, yeah. like really good quality. They smashed the food. It was absolutely superb. They had three. Um, Chefs, um, and the food was absolutely outstanding. Yeah, Shane Colson from uh, Falcon Brewer in uh, New Zealand, uh, Daniel Wilson from Huxtable here in Huxtaburger in Melbourne, and Adriana Zumbo did the dessert. Zumbo did the dessert, and it, the food was superb. I do have to say, though, that I thought that the beer matching was just didn't work. Um, very much a subjective thing. Yep. But we had two quite hoppy beers for the entree in the main and then a Saison to go with the sweet dessert. dessert. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, um, and, and and I come from the school prof that I don't know that is hops are the big thing in um, brewing. You know that they are the thing that really ignited brewing. I come from a school that hops actually aren't a good match for a whole range of foods because they are just a bit one dimensional um, and, and and overwhelm a lot the, the subtlety of a lot of food. Um, and I just have found that myself. I, again, listeners, um, anything else you want to shit can while we're at it? But oh no, see that's that it that is harsh. I've just said how fantastic it is, and and it's and it's not just all you know. Um, I, I don't want to join that circle jerk society where you know everyone's sort of stroking everybody behind them, and uh, you know all is good and all is rose in the world. You know it's um it's a discussion. Yeah, it's no, a no. it's a conversation. And but, I just thought we, we just we just laid down the negativity trail again. Oh well, I, oh, sorry, mate. I'll, I'll just sort of say, oh fuck, you know, it, mate. It was apart from the afternoon I spent at Gabs, which was just an incident that you know, something that was absolutely beyond reproach, and nothing could be faulted with it. Um, and the ARBA before that was just the absolute best night of my life, best dinner, can't fault it at all, mate. Rock on, everything's you know, geez, there's sunshine and uh, roses. Just the same. And lollipops. Mate, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's not shit canning anything. It's just saying food was fantastic. I didn't think that the, the, the matches worked perfectly. Again, that might be my taste. I had, I had a lot of feedback that you and I, uh, we love it because you, you're a bit like an old married couple. <laughs> I, I don't know whether we, we, we just proved or accepted the rule. Uh, oh, no, but yeah, I think it's fair. I mean, anyway, what you're saying. But I, like, I don't want to just say, yeah, everything was fantastic. No, I, mean, no, I don't no. think people... You know, I don't think people want to necessarily tune in for the podcast where we're just sort of telling them stuff that they probably experience to know. And, you know, again, it's people, you know, if you disagree with me, as uh, people seem to, you know, do quite often, um, send, us, send us your feedback. Let us know what you think. Um, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm right. Um, it'd be nice to hear that Pete's wrong sometimes. But then again, when you never voice an opinion, it's uh, fairly hard to be wrong. But uh, anyway. <laughs> Actually, if, if Lockie, if we can just get a bit of a... Pow! <laughs> One of these days, pow! Right in the kisser! All right. More of a cat um, scratch, <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> anyway, um, we're 30 minutes into into this. We've got an hour of uh, discussion to go, so we might very quickly um, uh, introduce on the Wednesday, um, and we're working backwards chronologically, uh, we had our chat. Last week we had our chat with uh, about tap contracts. Second session. A bit of yeah, this is the second session looking at draft, which sort of is a you know pigeon pair to the tap contracts. Um, have, Prof, have, since the discussion, have you reflected on 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 the, on the panel and um, have any thoughts to share about the um, you know the the, the muzzins versus the world um, of, of that? You know, no, no, a whole other episode. I'll um, I'll come back to the seven different phone calls and conversations he's had with me. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. So uh, we might do that. So in there, there's been plenty of feedback. It's fair to say. Okay, um, well, we'll do that in cards and letters. Here is our uh, discussion panel uh, looking at the secret life of draft beer. It's uh, good to have you as part of uh, Radio Brews News and um, good beer week for 2016 at the Cryer Malt Brewers Lounge upstairs at Beer Deluxe uh, Federation Square, thanks to Graphics and um, Cryer Malt. I think we covered all the sponsors there all in one sentence. Beautifully done. Um, our next lot of beers have arrived. So we do have on tap, we've got the, uh, the Hawker Saison. We've got the Throwback IPA, which we've just run out of. So we've uh, gone for the regular pale ale from, uh, and double IPAs. All right. 
If you do get into the double IPAs, please let me know so I can keep away from you when it comes to question time, because we are recording today. No, but if, uh, the, so the, a little bit of housekeeping, what, the way it will work is that uh, the panel will get into the discussion, um, and then we're kind of going to let it go a, a little bit organically. We've allowed around 15 minutes um, of the 45 minutes for questions and, and, and answers and, and make it as interactive as you guys would like it to be. Particularly this one, given I guess it's a little bit heavier on, um, on the technical uh, side of things. Um, but if the conversation is going to the point where a question is warranted now, then we can, we'll try to sni slip it in in between. But we'll introduce all the panel first, get them all to tell their story, and then we'll kind of take it from there. Uh, now, because uh, he does like to have a, uh, a, a professional introduction, ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome to the microphone from Radio Brews News, the founder, founding editor, Matt Kierkegaard. Yeah, thanks, mate. Well, again, thank you, everyone, for uh, sticking with us. So the first panel obviously wasn't terrible, um, despite Mazin's best efforts. Where is he? <laughs> No, thank you. That was a really good uh, chat, and that's exactly what we were trying to capture um, with, our first, uh, with our first panel. This panel is a little bit different. As uh, Pete said, it, the, the subject matter is probably a little bit uh, more in-depth, and we're looking at uh, draft beer quality. And the, the, the basic premise for this one is... Um, and it, it flows on a little bit from the idea of tap contracts, where if you went back 15 or 20 years ago... Um, there were a lot of publicans who had been in uh, the business for a long time. They had a contract with one or two of the big brewers. And that contract generally involved training staff in draft management, um, the brewery taking the responsibility for cleaning the lines, and you also had a uh, bulletproof product, uh, a beer that was pasteurised, was delivered fresh and very controlled. And there wasn't too much that could go wrong so long as the publican did a bare minimum of maintenance with his line. Um, these days we are, we, we're seeing craft brewers spring out. We've got living beers. Um, they're unpasteurised. We've got a lot of wild beers coming out. Uh, breweries, venues are increasingly moving away from exclusive contracts. And we wanted to look at what is happening with the beer um, when you've got brewers who are crafting great quality beers. They are sending it from their brewery, something that they're very proud of. We're seeing an increase in brewers who are sending it refrigerated and it's getting to a venue in hopefully pristine quality, and then what is happening from there. So the, the, the first question, um, and I'll, I'll introduce our panel. Uh, sitting to my left is uh, Ed Bodie, who is the draft uh, quality manager for Stone & Wood, um, who is, uh, I believe, our largest independent craft brewery in, in Australia. Um, we've got next to him Brad Murray, who is the general manager for Micromatic, and uh, I'll get uh, Brad to talk a little bit about what Micromatic is. Um, then we've got uh, Tony Fian, who is the Draft Beer Operations Manager for Lancer Beverages. Beside him is Corey Crooks, who is, speaking of fifth-generation publican, fifth or sixth-generation gen publican, Corey. Um, so he, he, he knows his way around a bar. Um, and then down the far end, we've got Darren Arrowsmith, who is the National Manager for Brewery Fresh, the Brewery Fresh team at CUB. Um, so a man who certainly knows a lot about, uh, you know, working with a, a big brewery and... Uh, uh, a lot of very interesting installs. So between the panel, we've got a mountain of experience in looking after draft beer uh, quality and also selling it. So maybe and we, we've got the microphones in front of us, gents, so I'll just make sure that uh, when you do speak, uh, you, you pick up um, the, the, the microphone. But I'm a brewer. 
I've sent my beer that I've crafted. I've, it's my child I'm sending out uh, to, to the world. What is the, what is the absolute gold standard for looking after that beer um, once, it, once it gets out to market? Maybe I'll uh, throw that to you, Ed, to, to get started. How should a publican be looking after that beer? And, and what should he be doing to make sure that what you have crafted in the brewery is getting to the consumer's glass the way that the brewer wants it? Uh, yeah, I think uh, it's a, a pretty broad question, uh, given the, the differences between all the systems that seem to be uh, in and around Australia. Um, the, the key rule for us at Stone & Wood is uh, fresh is best, so get the beer in as soon as you can and sell it as quickly as you can. Um, uh, we run into issues when people start to uh, accumulate lots of stock and the stock isn't stored correctly and uh, they're not selling the, the appropriate throughputs and, and getting the beer through the lines. So um, we've got uh, a road crew that go around and, and look after our venues and they really focus upon running through our, our good beer guide, which is our, our training manual, to instruct and, and teach these publicans how to really look after our beer. Um, our beer is, uh, has no additives, no preservatives, and it's, uh, it's very special. It needs to be treated uh, in a specific way so that the beer comes out the tap in, in the best quality that it can be. Mike? Uh, oh sorry, uh, Brad, um, what, do you have anything to add to that in, in terms of... Uh, uh, and it is a very, it's deliberately a, a very broad question um, because we can sort of get into some of the specifics and straight away Ed's raised... A, an issue about stock turnover and uh, you know, venues, but what should a publican be looking at? You know, from the the day that refrigerated truck turns up, what should they be uh, doing with the beer? As a um, as a brewing fraternity, I, I guess there's there's two dimensions to it. There's one certainly, you know, what does the venue need to do? What does the retailer need to do to look after the brand? Um, but I think it's important too that the brewers um, understand the product and understand its vulnerabilities. Uh, I think, as you, as you mentioned from the outset, Matt, the, the commercial brews uh, are pasteurised or sterile filtered, very low oxy counts, well and truly under control, and they're very resilient in the trade. Sorry. Um, the, the craft beers are predominantly unpasteurised, not sterile filtered, and they're, they're much more vulnerable. Uh, so... I think, think of the starting point, and I think Ed touched on it as well, and it's, it's really encouraging to see the appointment of, of Ed. I think it's probably the first draft quality um, appointment within the craft sector in Australia. I think I'm right in saying that, and it's a really good sign. Um, but the retailers are looking for leadership from the brewers, and I think very often I, I get the sense that as you said, we're entrusting the brands to the retailer because we believe they know what they're doing. Um, and in a lot of cases they do, certainly they do in, in places like this. But I think in the vast majority of, of uh, draft beer land, they're looking at the brewer to, to, to receive guidance. So um, I guess that's my initial observation. I might throw it to, to Darren then. Darren, maybe you could just uh, tell us, how long have you been involved in draft beer quality uh, with CUB or in, in, as your career, through your career? Um, well, through my career, uh, I've been with CUB for um, for 16 years, and, and prior to that, I was uh, I was in the plumbing industry, so I had a pretty good draft beer background. Um, so you've seen beer at both ends of the both business. Both ends, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I probably had a different appreciation for it uh, in the early days, but um, yeah. So 16 years at, at CUB, and 
I started out as a, as a technician on the road and um, have progressed through the business and, and I head up the team, we're called the Brewery Fresh team, so we basically um, have 20 guys on the road around the country and, and we support our customers um, through advice and um, coaching and, and um, guidance on, on how to manage draft beer and, and how to get the best results and, and maintain draft beer quality. So, so we're all, all about you know, ensuring that the quality is either maintained or continually improving and I guess the consumers um, getting what the brewer intended them to get. So, yeah. With NCB, one of the, the, the points that Brad made is that the beer coming out of the big breweries um, with the technology and the uh, labs and, and just your, your, your processes, you're able to very tightly control the amount of dissolved oxygen and a lot of the, the um, you know, inherent quality of the beer when it goes out. So I, I, my layman's term is it's bulletproof, hopefully when it hits the market. Is there much discussion within the brewery as you guys are increasingly looking to some of the craft brewing operations that maybe aren't pasteurised the way that the lagers were, that there is a difference in the way that your own brands from craft to more mainstream are handled? Um, look, yeah, we, we've got some principles in it and we, we, we've got a, a, an assessment template we use for venues and that's pretty much our, our guide for venues on, on what's good practice. So, um, you know... Fresh is best. That's you know probably agree with Ed on that one. Um, storage, you know, nice, cool, dark, stable environment is probably the best place for it. Um, hygiene in the cool room or the tapping area and and with the equipment. So, you know, th that's where the bugs get in. It, it's through the keg couplers and the connections, and, and that's where the bugs get into the system. Um, and then probably at the other end, it's you know it's, it's perfect pour and presentation are, are the key things. So, um, you know, I think you you know if you if you're following you know our recommendations and, and they're only recommendations. Um, you should end up with a pretty good result. So, um, Tony, you work for Lancer um, Beverages. Uh, you install a lot of systems. Have you noticed over the last maybe four or five years uh, as a lot of new entrants are coming in and opening venues, you know, that there's a lot of excitement, there are a lot of people who are first-time publicans who are approaching you to install draft systems that are possibly showing that they don't really understand the draft process for the, that's coming in or, or what they need to know to ensure that the equality is, is as it should be? Absolutely. I mean, I don't know whether it's the, the amount of product on the market, the amount of different venues that are opening up and the guy down the road says, oh, he's going all right, let's put some beer on, you know. They're um, making it look like they're making a profit and it's, um, they've got plenty of people in the venue so the place is, the place is jumping. So they say, well, what, what have they got? Well, you haven't got it and sometimes it's beer and they say, let's put beer on, you know. Don't know anything about it. Maybe it, uh, the guy who's going to sell me the system might know something about it, or we'll go with a, a mainstream brewery, or we'll go with a with a uh, with a craft. But uh, yeah, the general opinion, or the general consensus around the place is that the guy down the road's got it. They're going all right. Let's put it on and give it a go. But don't get a lot of advice on what they want to put on and all that. I mean, I'd ask you guys, where do you how do you rate your beer as a, as a as a product? Do you rate it as a food grade product? So, do you equate it to what? Do you equate it to milk? Liquid bread. Liquid bread. So, if you equate it, to, uh, equate it to milk, how would you treat milk? So, you go into the venue and say, okay, you're going to put beer on tap. How do you think you would treat it? And you get the mindset and say, okay, it's a bit like milk. It's a food grade product. You've got to look after it. These are the sort of things you've got to do. Corey, how about you? When, when that hopefully refrigerated truck turns up at the grain store in Newcastle... Um, yeah, unfortunately, it's not as often as it, you know we'd like to see. We've, we invested a lot of money on a, on a huge cool room, but 
Oh, I don't know, to put a figure on it, I'd say it'd be less than 10% of the beer that uh, turns up to our place is refrigerated. Uh, some of that to the brewer's intention, ex- expecting that it is, but it isn't. Somewhere else, particularly us in Newcastle, the supply chain could be broken down from Sydney and it might have got to Sydney cold, but that uh, last two hours or three hours of the journey, it hasn't. So it's almost made it worthless because it could have been on the back of a truck on a 38-degree day. But um, getting alluding to what we're talking about, I think it's a you know there's a joint responsibility there from the, from the to try and get the product in the best condition to the venues. Um, I know that's uh, cost prohibitive to to a lot of uh, particularly guys starting, but uh, there's certainly a market out there for someone to to grab hold of a a refrigerated um, logistics specialising in craft beer because you know it's an issue that we we face daily, but. Um, I think the bigger issue really in what we're seeing and, I, and I'm witnessing around, you know, where we call it a boom with uh, craft beer is if someone puts a hand up to run a, a specialty venue, then, you know, they have a responsibility to know how the systems work, um, to have the right people in the right places to know. You know, the, the common thing that gets, that, that gets forgotten, they may well do their lines on a weekly basis, fortnightly basis, but... They've never touched the. You know, they've been open two years. They've never touched a coupler. They've never cleaned their tap. And you know, I've I've drank some. You know, tried some beer. Tried to drink some beer. Around the around the uh, the country and some. You know, what you would think should be no better. And 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 there's certain issues there. And a lot of it. That's probably not. Certainly not the brewers' fault. So, I think there's a, a big responsibility. And and some. Uh, you know, some places really. You know, if they're, they're going to put their hand up and specialise in, in, in a certain part of the, the industry, then they need to, uh, to really get the systems in place. Yeah, we, we, we've heard a couple of elements uh, across the industry, and I'll, I'll go to Tony, because one of the reasons that I came up with wanting to do this particular panel was one of your colleagues uh, I was speaking to, and he, he is constantly called out to people who've got the dream of opening their new venue. So they've seen what's happening in the States, they've seen all of the exciting places, they've walked into... Uh, bars have got 20 or 30 taps on and they think that's what I want. I want to have a venue with 30 rotating taps of beer. Um, you know, I'm going to have, uh, you know, the, the best selection of beers. Um, and they've been to the States and they've seen what's happening over there. And uh, Craig, your, your colleague, told me, well, you know, if you're looking at what's going on in the States, you're looking at something that's very, very different because whereas here they might have a cool room that's 30 metres away from their taps, um, whereas in the States... Most of the venues that you're looking at that have got 20 or 30 taps are direct pour from a cool room on the other side. So they've got a very short distribution. Cleaning doesn't have that same... You know, you don't have all of your profit margin in the tap at one stage. In the States, you also have no minimum size for what the keg can be, whereas here, if you've got 50 taps or if you've got 30 taps, there is 1,500 litres of beer sitting in keg that you need to be turning over very, very quickly. Um, are, are, you, are you finding that venues... that In, in Australia, we have possibly an artificial view of what is possible with uh, uh, good quality beer management to get, the ve- to get the look and feel of the venue that you want? Certainly. The, the, I mean, some venues have come out with real big ideas on things that if they put 10 or so different beers on, people are just going to walk through the door. So they're going to sell plenty of beer, which is not always the case. There might be two or three products that go really well. It's the other five or six that they've got to manage better by looking after their equipment the right way and putting the right sort of equipment in place 
uh, and getting the right training to make sure that you know, those beers that aren't pouring a lot of are going to be okay in a week or so down the track once they start pouring it. Is what should a, a venue be looking at? You know, who should they be speaking to first? The brewers whose beers they want to stock or the person who's going to be installing their tap system before they come up with their business model? I certainly think the brewer uh, is a big part of it because they've got their idea on how the product should be delivered to the, to the customer's customer. Now, if it's not served that way, then they're going to put the brewer's nose out of joint, I would think. Once they've discussed on the products they would like to put on tap and they have uh, a reasonable idea how it's all going to run, and uh, then they get the right type of system in to do that. You know, whether, whether it be unpasteurised beer, what I think necessary for that product is it's got to be refrigerated, where you know, the guy up the road might just want... He'll just put two or three underneath the bar and, and sell half a keg a week and so that unpasteurised beer starts to go off and all that sort of stuff... And, and that's not how the brewer intended. Um, we can go in and, and advise them, but then it's a, a maybe cost prohibitive. Corey, you talked about having a large storeroom um, for, for your beers to sit in. So it's going, assuming it's turning up cold, you are able to keep it cold. A lot of venues you see, if you walk the, you know, behind the bar, the hallways are filled with kegs being just stored at ambient temperature. And there seems to be a lot of venues have the, uh, the old FOMO. Every rep comes in telling about their new release or their one-off specialty beer and everyone feels they've got to have a keg of that. But a lot of the, the, the big 8, 9, 10% beers turn over quite slowly and they're just sort of sitting out in ambient. Is that a problem? Um, do, do you feel that pressure as a publican that you need to have every beer on or you need to have a keg of everything so you can gradually rotate it through and do you start finding that you get a, a, a backlog of kegs yeah, look, we're very, we're, you know, the phone doesn't stop ringing about the next beer that's coming out and we're, we certainly keep a, you know, a spreadsheet on where we're at with each tap. We, we have 21 taps and we, um, you know, all bar about four of those we rotate. Um, but we're very mindful on, you know, the, the FIFA, it doesn't matter how, what, you know, first in, first out and, uh, and not being too far ahead of ourselves that we aren't stockpiling kegs. It, it's, you know, it's a, as we said, it is a food product and it's all about fresh, so... Um, Space, I suppose, for some venues is, is what's prohibitive to them and why you're seeing them in hallways and those sort of things. But, um, uh, you know, we, we prior to the grain store at the, at the Albion, we tried to use a 100-year-old pub to do something that it wasn't meant to do. Um, you know, hence where we moved into a space that would work for what, knowing what we wanted to do and be able to have the infrastructure there to, to be able to, to, to do it and do it right. And... Um, you know, personally, I think, uh, you know, I cringe when I see, like, you know, it happens that there's bars just sitting, uh, kegs sitting behind bars. It's, you know, these, these you know, venues that should should know better. Um, they probably do know better. And, um, I, you know, I think it's time that, uh, you know, there the, uh, probably a bit more pressure goes on to actually setting some better standards because, you know, half the time it could be the brewers that, you know, cop the, cop the ear bashing about that their beer's... Tasting like shit, but it's 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 probably got nothing to do. It's not their fault. So, um, you know, that's that's I suppose obviously my my point that I'll bang on about is that uh, if you if if you're choosing to to come into this industry in in a regard as a specialty, then then do things right. I wouldn't go and set up a three D printing company that I know nothing about just by going to buy the printer. Um, and if if that's what you're choosing to do, then do your research. Do you know if you don't know how to do it, find out how to do it. 
or employ someone who who's, who does have the experience because it's uh, you know it's it's probably our at the moment where we've rode this this road up at the moment. I feel there's something that's you know can come crashing down a little as regards to the uh, the quality of, of service. And it's not just systems; it goes into you know to glassware and and all those things that are important to what what we actually taste in the glass. Ed, maybe you can explain to. Uh, to us why this is important. What's actually physically happening inside a keg of stone and wood once it's delivered at the brewery, if it's just sitting out at ambient temperature? What are the, the, the processes that are happening inside that beer? Yeah, so there's, there's a few things that I, th I think uh, we probably all know that, that is no good for beer. Uh, one is heat, uh, one is exposure to oxygen, and the other is staying around for a long time. Um, all of those things will help break down the beer cause things like oxidation. Um, when and what, what's that causing in the beer? Uh, it's going to cause the, the hops to degrade, the flavour from the malt pro profile to degrade uh, and cause the, the beer to pick up more of a stale characteristic. Uh, some people might describe it as slightly papery or wet cardboard or, or things like that. Um, we we want to make sure that you know venues, we, I think uh, quite a few of us touched on it before, about that venues are turning over beers and just because they have space to put in 65 beers that they don't just put in 65 beers. Uh, there are other issues that are associated with um, beers sitting in the lines for too long and building up bacteria or biofilms or yeast that are going to uh, affect and change the flavour of the beer. Um, I think one of the things that um, sort of Corey touched on before is about in employing the people uh, that have the skills to, to look after the beer. I think there needs to be a real ownership from the breweries. Um, if you think that someone can't look after your beer or sell it in a way that you want it to be sold. You shouldn't be selling them the beer. There needs to be a real ownership from the breweries working and, and building really positive relationships with the managers that, you know, we're, we're there to help. We're willing to come in and we're willing to train you. We're willing to spend time with you guys and run through exactly how we need our beer to be looked after. Um, I don't think any venue doesn't want to look after their beer or doesn't want to sell great beer. I think that there's just a, a lack of knowledge in some cases um, and, and they just need the help. Uh, I think they're all passionate and enthusiastic and, and things like that. We just need to, to give them the knowledge and the skills to do it. Um, I love the idea that I can go out to a really quiet cafe down an alleyway, down a laneway, and they've got craft beer on. And, you know, it might be, I'm pretty bad, it might be 10 o'clock in the morning, but if they've got a great craft beer on, I'm going to have one. Uh, and I think that's fantastic. I think the accessibility um, and the, the, the popularity of craft beer, especially in Australia, is phenomenal. Uh, I want everyone to have it. I want every bar to sell craft beer and uh, every venue to sell. I want them to look after it and love it and, and care for it. But I love that, that uh, you know, these unique venues are, are selling beer. Darren, maybe look at you. We, we've got the Brewery Fresh, which is the promise for a beer like Carlton Draft, which is a a very mainstream brand, but yet it's an unpasteurised beer um, and you've got these very expensive inst installs. You're not going to put those into any venue that wants one, are you? Can you tell us, uh, is that something that you're able to talk to us about, about the, the mindset that goes into putting in one of these installs into uh, a venue and what their requirements are and what their maintenance uh, involved in is? Um, yeah, look, I, I can probably talk about from a, from a quality perspective, it's... it's I guess our sales team deal with customers about and target customers or discuss with customers about which ones are appropriate for, for tank beer. But we've only got um, 32 
um, installed in the country at the moment. So they're from Brisbane down through Sydney, Canberra, Melbourne and um, in Adelaide. So, um, yeah, it, it is, it is, it's unpasteurised beer and, and um, you know, we, we put, a, a, I guess, a time frame of, of two weeks on the beer from when it's delivered to the venue or um, for, for, it to be, uh, for it to be consumed by the consumer. So um, it, it is... It is unpasteurised. It is. It is. It does have a. You know. A, I guess, in, in my opinion, anyway, a different flavour profile. It is. It is a. It is a crisper and smoother beer. And um, it's. You know. I guess it's an innovation that, that we brought to the country to, you know, try and um, you know reinvigorate um, the on-premise environment and, and get people to appreciate draft beer from from some of our brands anyway. So. But how quickly does a venue need to be turning that beer over for it to work in the venue? Um, well, as I said, you know, that, that's a 500-litre tank and there's another two downstairs, I think, or three downstairs. So, you know, we're, we're looking at within two weeks the, the tank's empty. That's, that's it. And most of them are churning through it, you know, on a seven-day basis. Yeah. If What's happening to that beer if it's not turning over that quickly? Um, it's t- to be honest, it, it would I would suggest it's probably okay, but we've just set our own our own limits on on the two week thing. So that's our guide for customers to turn it over. So I mean, you know, we we, we call it brewery fresh beer, and we just want to make sure that people are getting the freshest beer that they can. Yeah. Just uh, on the brewery fresh beer, it is trucked to the venue, refrigerated, and it's put into a refrigerated container, so it's then delivered to the tap refrigerated. Tony, talk us through the, the, the systems. We, we, uh, there's a lot of uh, different uh, views about what systems are. You know, to, to the consumer who's standing there who sees a, a glossy cold tap, it all looks the same to them. But you've got uh, glycol systems, you've got direct pour systems, you've got ambient systems. Maybe you could just sort of talk us through the, the, the main types of tap setup and hardware and what each of them involves. Look, I've been around long enough that uh, I know what a direct pool system is because I only had them in Queensland and I'm from Victoria. Um, when I first started in the industry, probably in Victoria, the, there might have been five venues that had direct pool and it's the easiest and best and cleanest way, from my point of view, of pouring beer. And then, as you said before, the, the tap's on the wall, the line goes through the wall, onto the keg and you pour beer. Into a cool room. The, the cool into a cool room behind, behind, the, behind yeah. the, so you, know, you can't get much better than that. Uh, cleaning procedure is maybe flushing the line, maybe. Um, looking after your keg cup and looking after your tap. And then if the line hasn't come up to scratch, you change it, which takes two minutes. So your direct pull is, uh, from my point of view, is like having a keg in your backyard. How come we don't see that anymore? Or how, why is that not a popular system if it's the best way? I think it came down to the fact that the... The person serving the product had to turn their back on the customer. I think that's what it came down to. Uh, and that wasn't seen as the right thing to do, turn your back on the customer, pour a beer. So then it got to, uh, well, in Victoria, it was temporite systems, so you, your tap was on the bar, the customer was in front of the person serving, they poured the beer. Sorry? The decals came yeah, the decals came in. Um, uh, from that, you... you, you went from temperite to possibly ice bank systems for smaller venues. Uh, and and then what's an ice bank system? Just describe the mechanics. Is that an ambient... Is it the keg warm, it passes through ice and then comes out the tap cold? Hopefully. <laughs> that's, that's, the, uh, that's what it's supposed to do. But you know, once again, it's, you say that um, your beer's got to be looked after, so is your equipment. 
you know, some of the equipment, when, uh, some of some of the ice bank systems I've seen aren't looked after very well, and they can't understand why why the beer is pouring warm. Um, so it's a it's a a uh, system where you've got an, a, 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 a water well with a refrigeration unit underneath it. It makes an ice bank around the inside of the water well. The beer lines are sitting in, in that water well. They've got a little motor on top with a little propeller which stirs the water off the ice and around your beers and cools your beers as it goes through. They have a capacity, what they are, off the top of my head, I'm not 100% sure. The bigger the ice bank, the bigger the capacity, or the, the more beer you can put through the system in one hour to keep it pouring around about 1 to 1.5 degrees. From that, you went to your, to your uh, glycol systems where you can run long distances. Now, I've, in the years that I've been involved, the longest run I've done or been involved in is probably 150 metres from the keg room to tap. And they did have some problems early days, but they've got it working okay. Now, just describe the mechanics of doing that. So the keg is sitting in a cool room yes. or a keg room? Yep. And it, it tapped up. Um, it... Uh, Joins the beer python, so the beer python is your, your uh, number of lines in the in a uh, insulated uh, python with glycol lines in it. The glycol, sorry, the beer lines join the python before it leaves the cool room with the glycol lines. The glycol and the beer travel up to the bar. In that situation, I. And what does the glycol do? It uh, well, it, the glycol travels up to the bar with the beer lines. It keeps the beer cool in the, in that python. The glycol runs through what we call a chiller plate, which then uh, chills that chiller plate to possibly uh, minus degree. The beer then runs through that chiller plate, and is then the, the, which is hard to think about is that the heat is taking out is taken out of the beer, which then cools it obviously, and it's poured at the tap around about 0.5 to one degree. Possibly the brewer's spec say between one and three. Possibly, but with glycol systems, especially smaller, uh, closer proximity to pouring, you know, people are getting 0.5 to minus 0.5 degree on their beers. And, I, and as the brewers know that anything that's really cold, you can't taste it. It's very refreshing, but you can't taste it. And there's a lot of other things happen to your product when it's sitting in the glass at that, at that temperature. If you've got 150 litres of beer from your keg to your tap, that's a lot, 150 metres, that's a whole lot of uh, beer sitting in those lines. Is that going to prevent a publican from cleaning or how does he manage to keep those lines clean on a, on a regular enough basis that you don't have things growing in there, as Ed described as biofilms? Yeah, I mean, the venue I'm, I'm thinking about is Crown Casino. So, um, is, is, sorry? Crown Casino. So that's a venue where people go to punt, not necessarily drink beer. Um, they do, well, they did have stringent um, things that they did where they, they um, put their lines on to gas and sold out the products every fortnight. I don't, I haven't been there for a long time now, so I don't know their, their procedures now. But they had it down pretty well pat. They would, uh, every, they had a stringent uh, regime where they um, flush and clean once a fortnight. Uh, any beer that was left in the line just went down the sink. I've been in a lot of venues, and I'm not sure who to direct this one to. I've been in a lot of venues. One keg blows. They just put the next one on, next one on, next one on. What's going to happen in, in that system if you're not cleaning? Should, should you be cleaning between kegs? Or you know, even if you're changing from one, uh, you know, one keg to another whole other beer, um, should you be cleaning between? Should you be flushing those lines between? What's going to happen if you're not 
looking after you, if you're not doing anything to those lines between kegs? If I was giving advice to a, a venue that was using the same beer for the same line, um, I would suggest that if the system's not set up so the beer just stops running in the cool room and you change it over with, your, with the mechanisms that are available uh, and the line blows out, I would then say, flush your line on water first, put your new keg on, pull it through quietly, you're right, you're going to do that. If you're changing products, definitely flush your lines. Even, it depends on how long it's been on for, even put some detergent through it as well. Very careful to be aware of what I've never seen that happen, ever. Um, you've got some, some discerning uh, publicans out there that will do it. Yep. Do you do that, Corey, as a discerning publican? Well, most of our taps, if they're rotating, are in style. So obviously we've got fibres that will cut it off, but if, if we're going from a, you know, half a dozen of the taps are IPA, it's to another IPA. But if it's, certainly if it's going from a... We're changing style. So if we had an IPA on tap and then we're going to a Saison or vice versa, then we, we certainly won't just push that line through with beer. We'll, we'll flush the line before we, we bring something through. We, we do, um, if we've gone from a particular pale ale to another pale ale, we'll pull it through and most we don't really waste. We use a lot of our beer in the kitchen. So that, well, I think that's what my chefs tell me, that they use it to cook. But uh, <laughs> maybe they're drinking it, but uh, either way it's not being wasted. But, uh, yeah, certainly when we, if we've gone from a porter to a, you know, to an IPA or something that's totally in, in different um, perspectives of style, we, we won't just push it through with beer. Just very quickly, I might, I might throw to everybody and, see, and ask them what the worst thing that they've seen happen to a beer in a, in a venue is without naming the venue. Um, but before I do that, I'll, I'll talk about th- there is a, a real interest in the moment in tap takeovers and rapidly turning over venues and the, the idea is you've got a venue that maybe has eight taps one brewery goes in takes over all of those taps now the point of that is to create an excitement around that one night get people in get the that beer pouring a, a venue that maybe gets 80 to 100 people in isn't going to be going through 400 litres of beer in the night so maybe the big seller the, the, the trophy beer gets pulled through the others are there you then take five of those seven remaining kegs off, put them in your cool room, and gradually work them in, into your lineup. Um, what's that doing to the, the beer, Ed? If, you, if you're putting a beer on, you're taking it off, um, and th- there are venues that have done that two or three times to the one keg of beer, particularly when it's a very slow turnover beer. What's that going to be doing to, to that beer if it's going on and coming off and going on and coming off? Yeah, uh, I, I knew this question would come up because I think it's something that we've discussed quite a lot. Um, it it's sort of goes back to the, the first thing that, that Darren and I said, really. As soon as you get the beer, you, you want to sell it. Fresh is best. Um, you should be turning over your stockers as fast as you can. I'm, uh, I'm a really big advocate of, of like what you said before about um, you know, America doing these beers in smaller kegs so that venues can turn them over really quickly. Um, if the... All the equipment is emphatically clean and really hygienic. Uh, the beer is stored in a very, very cold, temperature-controlled environment. Uh, it's dark. It's not exposed to heat or sunlight. Um, the beer will still um, start to, to break down. Um, it won't be as fast as if you take it out of the cold room because there's no space and put it in the hallway and the chef moves it down further down and then it goes outside and then it comes back in. 
Um, if that's the case, the, the, the beer will go off. It will start to... But once you've tapped a keg, should you just pull yep. it straight through or is it okay to take it off and put it in the cool room for a month? Oh, you, it, again, you want to sell it as quickly as you can. Taking beers off just encourages the beer to, uh, to start to break down. If there is anything in the lines or any bacteria in the coupling head, um, there's a really good chance that you encourage infection into the line or into the keg itself. Uh, if you have a beer that is, I don't know, close to its use-by date, when you get it, um, the beer will already um, be on its way to, to start degrading. Um, there's, you know, there's a whole host of things that, that can go wrong with a beer. As a brewer, um, we'd love our beers to be tapped uh, and sold as quickly as possible. We, you know, we say a, a minimum of, of one keg a week is what we'd love for people to be doing so that we... Um, have a great set of quality and, and good throughput so that we're not worried about the, the quality of our beer. What's the worst thing you've seen happen to beer in, in venue? Um, some, some of the worst practices you've seen? Yeah, I think, uh, I think I've been uh, a little bit lucky in that um, all of our road crew um, specifically target venues that they know are, are renowned for great quality and looking after craft beer and being really passionate. Um, so in terms of uh, a huge scale, I haven't seen too many bad things. Uh, if anyone wants to buy me a beer later, I'll tell you about some fantastic things I've seen in the UK. Um, but um, I, I guess the, the biggest one for me is, um, is that hygiene side sort of um, tied to line cleaning. Uh, I'd love venues to line clean and actively encourage them to do it. I come out and do it with them. Um, it's, it's really important. I think it's uh, one of the things that, that Brad and I were talking about earlier over a beer. Um, there are a few different uh, methods of line cleaning, and, and one is either called a, a flow back or a, a plow back method, where a, a venue will uh, disconnect uh, a beer line from a manifold um, and put the beer back onto a keg and filter the lines back into a keg, um, then clean the line so that they don't waste any stock, and then resell that beer. Um, as a brewer, we'd obviously love for that to not happen. Uh, Why is that? What, what, what's going to happen if, if you've just got beer from the keg, through the line back into the keg? Yeah. What can go wrong? I think um, publicans line clean when they realise the lines are dirty and they need to clean. If you've identified that the lines are dirty and that you need to clean and that the beer is sitting in those lines and then you've decided to pull it back down, clean the line and then resell the beer... Um, that beer is not going to be the, the way that we want it to be. Brad, worst thing that you've seen in, a, in happening to beer in venue? Uh, following on from just what Ed said, the, the flowback um, flow method that's commonly used in New South Wales, unfortunately, is a shocker. As Ed said, you're, cleaning, you're, you're flowing the beer back into a keg uh, when you've identified that the lines are in need of cleaning. So you're really crossing your fingers and very likely introducing bacteria into the keg, which you're then you know, banking up and, and, and pushing back in uh, or pushing back through the system the next day or, or thereafter. Um, the other thing that happens there is, is by definition, to, to flow that beer back into a keg, you need to degas that keg. So you're changing the flavour, the, the, the mouthfeel and the carbonation level of the product. Um, there's a lot of hit and miss. It's the worst possible practice. Is it a common practice in New South Wales? Yeah, I, I'm a bit removed from it um, since I left CUB, but certainly some, a lot of the bigger clubs and pubs in, in Sydney and regional New South Wales um, 
do it probably 50% of, of bigger venues. Yeah. I think it gets, gets back to something that, that we were talking about before, that a lot of this technology, the glycol systems and the ice bank systems, um, moving on from temperites have been introductions uh, from the equipment suppliers. And, and I am an equipment supplier and Tony works for an equipment supplier. But my, my gut feel is that the, the industry over the last 10 years has been more a little bit more led by equipment suppliers rather than the brewing fraternity. So we've now ended up with these vast differences, for example, to how they approach draft beer in America, which is by and large a 38 degree Fahrenheit cool room as an absolute starting point. If you want draft beer, you will have a 38 degree Fahrenheit cool room. What's that in Celsius for those? Three, three just three anyone in the room that perhaps doesn't know what Fahrenheit I'm is? I'm sorry, three, three and a bit degrees okay. Celsius. So it's all about direct pull, as, as we identified before, was a fantastic system that um, was very, very common for a generation in Queensland. The simplest system you can possibly imagine, very easy to get um, the right gas mix and gas pressure to maintain equilibrium on the beer. Very little can go wrong. I think in the States too, um, just briefly, they've got a few other... Uh, a few other approaches which, which we don't have here. Um, as I said, the cleaning is very simple, but they've also got uh, cleaning where the... We have a static clean here where the, where the chemical alkaline um, generally sits in the line for a couple of hours. Um, and you as brewers know that, that heat and, and mechanical action are far more effective uh, to, remove, um, to remove bacteria. So in the States they have systems where the, where the lines... Where the, um, the fluid is recirculated through the line, so you're getting a scrubbing action. They introduce heat. So you're looking at systems that are you know, effect 80 times more effectively being cleaned than a static clean. The other thing with, with static cleaning here is that the, uh, the systems are so cold, so it's, it's much harder to clean the systems in the first place. Uh, in the States, they have a periodic acid clean, um, whereas here we just stick with, it with, with alkaline cleaning or high high pH cleaning. So the acid clean is, is, is better at moving, removing biofilm, for example. So we don't do that here. Why is that? What, what, what has driven, and I'm, I'm mindful that we need to go to the Q&A in a sec, what has driven the development of beer delivery in Australia that makes it different from perhaps other places in the world? And I'm not sure who's best to, to answer that one. Brad, I if you wanted... Well, I've probably said enough on that. I, mean, I think everybody has, has a view. But as I said, I think... Um, Equipment providers in this country have been delivered some fantastic innovations and glycol systems are really high-performance, uh, well-engineered systems, but people from um, brewing uh, brewers around the world will come and look at these systems and see that they're over-engineered. There are too many bug traps, quick connects and adapters and beer line check valves that simply don't happen in other marketplaces. So... Um, I think I think some of the equipment providers have gone a little bit unchecked, uh, with no disrespect to the equipment providers. I think they've um, led these innovations and probably not been held to account by the big brewers, of which I was a part. Um, and perhaps it's time, as a as a brewing fraternity, that we took back a bit more ownership of, of that agenda. Um, are there any questions from the floor um, as we've been going for a while? Does anyone have any questions about draft beer? Any publicans here that want to ask what? Just before we do, Matt, while you're all thinking of your questions, because uh, I've been monitoring the social media and our, uh, our message bank, and we have had um, 
a couple of um, messages come in. Uh, Matt, um, Dr. Tim Cooper rang in and said he's pretty sure that Cooper's is still slightly larger than Stone and Wood when it comes to family-owned independent. Yeah. Uh, Tony, Crown Casino rang and just wondering if you wanted to um, renew your mahogany room membership because uh, it's just about the punting. Uh, and Matt, um, I believe you used the word FOMO or the expression FOMO um, and somebody else has called in they wish to remain anonymous. Uh, you can use the word FOMO but not while you're wearing that grey knitted cardigan. <laughs> so any other questions, comments? Uh, Robin from Blackheart Brewery. Uh, just two questions actually. First one, with the regards to the uh, cool storage and transport, how important do you think it is if the beer is stored cold, if it's transported non-chilled over Sydney to Newcastle or potentially longer, 24, 48 hours, one, do you think that really makes a difference? And the second question is, if the majority of places seem to serve beer uh, with a CO2 nitrogen mix rather than just CO2, uh, one, why is that? And two, does that influence the longevity of the beer in the keg? And how long should the keg stay on tap before it should be discarded because it's been on too long? Um, I'll, I'll grab the last one, um, or the last two. Um, our recommendation is once you tap a keg, five to seven days, it should be gone. So the longer it's tapped, um, the more chance of overcarbonation. And if there's any um, bugs or any, anything in, in the system, it's you know the more potential there for for an infection to get in the system. So you know if if it's if you've got a keg tapped up for three or four weeks, you probably should be thinking about, you know, is there another brand that will sell quicker than that? And do we need to have that, you know, that brand of beer in, in, as packaged beer in the, in the fridge as well? So um, mixed gas. Um, so mixed gas is really there to um, overcome um, overcarbonation problems, and especially when beer is stored in a cool room. So store beer at, you know, below 10 degrees, below 15 degrees, and some cool rooms get down around, you know, two, three, three degrees. Um, Pressure on top of the beer, the beer starts to absorb the carbon dioxide, the, the, the beer starts to overcarbonate and, and the brewer will have a spec on what the CO2 level should be in the beer. Once you get too much CO2 in the beer, um, when it comes out of the tap and hits the atmosphere, it, it turns into ice cream. So to overcome it, uh, you can put, they put nitrogen in the beer and, and that, the, the nitrogen doesn't get absorbed and it, it won't stop overcarbonation but it slows the process down and hopefully long enough that once the keg's getting towards the end or sold, it's, it's probably just starting to overcarbonate. So um, some venues now, and it's probably happening more and more, moving towards beer pumps. Um, so, you know, gas-driven pumps, or sorry, air-driven pumps to pump the beer from the cool room to the tap. And you can run a, a lower, you know, gas pressure on the keg in the cool room and you can get away with using straight carbon dioxide. So it, it, the nitrogen does, you know, I think over time have an effect on the beer and you can get a, a sort of different different formation of the head and I think if you're a really good um, beer taster and, and really tuned into it you can actually taste the difference in the beer so hopefully that answers your question yep. and the first part of Robin's question Corey the yeah look for us uh, anything that someone's made the effort to get you know get to our door cold will stay cold um, it won't ever be a cold keg turn up and, and then sit for us ambient until we, we tap it it'll be um, it'll stay stay cold uh, you know, we're about to even increase, um, you know, our, our cool room will be able to fit about 200 kegs in, so everything that will come will stay cold. But, um, yeah, like I said, it's unfortunately only about 10 or 15% that do turn up cold, but they certainly 
Um, if, if they haven't arrived, Cole, we don't actually no idea what's happened to them in the last few days, week or so before they've got to us, what temperatures they've got to. But, yeah, when they do turn up cold, they stay cold. And, um, yeah, hopefully there's more of it. Over the transport time, it's climbed from, say, 5 to 15. And then once you get it, you stick it back in the cool room and then it's slowly back down to 5. Do you think that temporary increase in temperature of the beer has any influence on the beer? Oh, well, look, obviously, it, being a food product, we've had some issues with, with certain beers across the time and some of them, you know, beers that, uh, you know, are well accredited and different things. But, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd struggle to try and remember a time that we've had a, an issue of a beer that's arrived cold. So... You know, any of those that, that, that have certainly a lot of them been heat struck and different things where they've been affected, particularly the more fragile styles like Saison are probably the most common ones that, um, you know, we end up with issues where we just can't, you know, we certainly try our, any of the product before we serve it to a customer and, a, you know, I might have a bit of a reputation of turning some beer away, but if, if it's not fit to serve, we won't serve it. So, um, But generally, I, I struggle to probably remember a time of something that's arrived cold and there's been an issue with it. So, you know, that's, I suppose, answers how important it is. Question over here for, uh, for the panel. Young fella, new to brewing. Brendan from uh, Feral. I was just going to comment on the first part of that question that was just answered, actually, uh, about what, happened, what can happen in 24 to 48 hours. Uh, so if you, if you know your beer is microbially clean, then there's every chance that 24 to 48 hours is going to have little or no... Uh, impact on the beer flavour so oxidation doesn't happen that fast but if you're not plating out your beer in your brewery and microbially you're unclear about what is in your beer then there's absolute scope for that beer to taste very very different and very unpleasant within 24 to 48 hours and plating out will make you realise that and because you'll see how fast plates grow um, and how fast bacteria uh, actually multiplies so I, I guess it comes back to how certain you are of the condition and not just the sensory condition, what's sitting underneath there because typically in your brewery you'll taste it having only been cold and if you, you don't have that microbial data then there's absolute scope within 48 hours for it to be a very different beast if it's delivered warm. Thanks, yeah, Brendan. I think um, just one quick thing that I, I wanted to, to add. Um, there, there are really good reasons why ambient systems exist and, and they are due to lack of space, lack of money and, and things like that. Um, in terms of transportation, if a beer is uh, on a truck and the truck hasn't been uh, temperature controlled for an hour, two hours, three hours, um, lo like the point that you mentioned out, um, that's not going to have the, the greatest impact when you compare it to if it goes under the counter or in the hallway or, or anything like that and is exposed not only to... 15 to 18 degrees on a truck or whatever it may be, but 35, 40 degrees sitting next to a fridge or, or things like that. So again, the, the hygiene and the, the quality of the beer is, is imperative. Otherwise, you will get issues with uh, over-carbonation, the, the yeast staying too active in, in an un unpasteurised beer. Um, but yeah, a really big impact. Hey, we've got a question over here. Just excuse me. Um, we've mentioned in both sessions now the over-reliance on our market for a 50-litre keg. Why is that? And why haven't we, as an Australian market, adopted some of what we're seeing in the US or Europe or Asia with 30-litre or 20-litre kegs? And maybe this is a keg star question. 
It's the bloody government. It's um, yeah. I, 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 it's one of those things that there has been a as an observer, industry observer, not a necessarily a participant. It's been something that's been fascinating to watch the talk about the excise relief, um, and the government's never willingly going to give back money, but yet you can't buy dog food in anything bigger than a 25 kilo bag for workplace health and safety reasons, and yet beer is one of the few things that a 60 litre or a 60 kilo thing is perfectly acceptable um, and it's yeah so but it, it's, it's just not so I'm, I'm not sure what is preventing I think it, the, the, it's the something that should be campaigned harder by you know CBIA for one and, and I'm you know I'm surprised that still nothing has happened this far down the track because exactly with WH&S and all the you know the hoops and everything we have to jump through with that that's uh there's any, there wouldn't be a venue really in, in Australia that's doing moving a lot of beer that's not double stacking kegs, and we hate doing it, but it's uh, you have to do it at times. Um, you know, we were talking about tap takeovers and those sort of things earlier. It's, it's something I'm certainly not a fan of. We've been, you know, the grain store. We've done one, and I probably even regret doing the one. But um, it's all about us. I suppose the common theme that from from every conversation we've had here is all about fresh is best. Um, you know, we've got 21 taps because it, we can move. That's the volume of what we know, that nothing stays in our line for more than a week. Um, you know, so obviously some of those lines would be moving a lot more than a keg, but even the slowest movers would move through in a week. And, um, you know, we look, we'd love to have 50 taps, but we are all about fresh as best. So if, if we had smaller kegs, and that's, you know, visited Japan and different places and, you know, the venues are the the size of that corner down there and, and they've got 25 taps and you go in their cool room and it's 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 hysterical you know some of these kegs are five litres that it's they seriously are you know they've got these 12 13 percent barley lines hooked up in five litre kegs on a draft system and you know obviously the the you know barley wines and stuff that are happening in australia and there's 14 percent you know we, we want to do them because we want to give them to our consumer but we know that that's well there's that tap gone for you know that's going to push our seven-day limit to the, to the hill. But uh, it'd be great to get that in a 20-litre in a keg, but, you know, the excise makes it uh, unfeasible because it'll almost end up the same price as if it was in 50. Yeah, look, there's, there's plenty of 19-litre kegs out there. Asahi, Hogarten, they've got, you know, they're imported 19-litre kegs. We've got a 30-litre uh, Copperberg keg, which, which we bring into the country. So, um, I flew to New Zealand last year with the um, Bivana keg. Um, in my luggage, um, the, and it was just a normal. And then we had to try and find a couple of for it in New Zealand. Um, but it is, yeah. So th- th- there are kegs that, that make it possible, but it's just. Uh, it, Brendan virus is is it something that the CBIA has campa- campaigned on or made representations about? And uh, not so much campaigned on, and uh, it's been talked about a lot. And it's all. I think it's come back to a bit of be careful what you wish for. Um, there is a review of alcohol tax on at the moment. It's, it's almost like an ongoing one, like gets reviewed and then nothing happens, I review it again. Um, the f- one of the fears is that in actual fact what, what will happen is that all draft beer just gets lift up, lifted up to the rate of bottle beer. So there is no um, reduced rate for keg beer at all. So consumers will all end up paying more at the tap for that. Um, so that's a legitimate fear. There, there's, there's a secondary thing, and it, it doesn't weigh that highly. There's a little bit of protectionism, and I'm now 
maybe speaking a little bit out of school, but a little bit of protectionism for for um, for local in that you can't use uh, the smaller one-way returnable kegs from o, uh, from overseas. Um, if you get the 50-litre size, there, there's one-way kegs don't come in 50-litre. Uh, so, but the, the primary one is a bit be careful, be careful what you wish for, um, and. The noises, we, we do have a few consultants that uh, talk to government for us and the noises we get back is um, if wet tax goes, then they're also going to be looking equally at the 50-litre keg tax thing as well. So maybe perhaps we should be grateful for what we got sometimes rather than what we'd like. Any other questions from the floor or comments? Just a question. Um, there's been mention of a whole range of things that cause issues with beers from dirty couplers to heat. Um, to light, et cetera, et cetera. Where's the biggest pain point? And I know we've represented across a whole range of parts of the supply chain here. Is, is there a particular point in the supply chain or at a venue that is causing huge fault? Is there something that brewers should be looking at specifically um, to negate that? I would probably suggest, probably from what we've found, um, as far as you know, beer quality in the on-premise market, um, a lot of it's just hygiene in the venues. And... Um, either, either poor practices or people really not understanding what they should be doing and how to treat beer. So, um, you know, e education's a big thing and, and, and making sure people understand it. it is a food product and if you don't treat it right, it, it'll result with either wastage at, at this end of the line or, or people walking out the door and going and walking, um, drinking beer somewhere else. So. so to follow up on that, would you suggest that uh, beer in the brewery is... Very, very sanitary in the supply chain, very sanitary, and the highest risk is at the venue and the venue's hygiene. Yeah, I, I, from, what I've, from what I can see, yeah, definitely. Yep. Cool, thanks. Joe, I've, got, I've actually got a question for you. Joe from Kegstar. Kegstar, which uh, rents kegs, is probably the best way to describe it to, to venues and saves them from buying, buying it. I, I've had reports from brewers where they've had the Kegstar kegs turn up and there is what would be regarded as a merchantable quality of beer, quantity of beer in, in the keg. Do you guys measure, like, did you have any metric to measure the, the weight of the kegs as they go out or anything like that? Do you know how much beer is left in the kegs when they go to, to the breweries? We don't uh, specifically measure the quantity of beer that goes out to breweries. However, if a, beer, like, if a keg does come back to us with beer in it, uh, we do decant it up yep. to a certain level. If there's a know, a small margin in the bottom, it can go out to a customer. Yeah, and, and the, reason, I mean, the, the reason I ask that is that when you, you hear publicans talking about margins and everybody's talking about the margin in the industry, when you've got kegs that are going out to venues um, and they're not selling, you know, they're, they're still returning those kegs with a significant amount of beer in them, there's got to be a problem in that. And so I just wanted to find out what that was, a, what was an issue. There, there, this does seem to play into something that we're hearing in the industry that there is that, and I think Brad spoke about it right at the start, venues are just buying whatever the, the, the reps are turning up with and not necessarily turning it over. Um, and you know, Is that an industry-wide problem, anyone on, on the panel, where beer is just being bought and it, it's not being completely sold through in a reasonable time and so they're even taking it off? Corey, is that a problem that you guys that you've heard or anything where the, the beer's just not even being sold in a reasonable time and it's just got to be taken off and that's got to be causing problems for some venues, you'd have to I imagine. Yeah, look, I think there is, there's, you know, that, and that's, I suppose, a, a bit of a, a problem with the, the tap takeovers that if they've got 10, 20, whatever, you know, more taps and they're going to put 
that many of one brewers on, then they've, they've obviously had to pull those beers off. And, you know, I know I've chatted to some brewers that there's certain beers they've only done once and all of a sudden it's popped up back on tap 10 months later and it was a, you know, a big IPA. Well, it's not going to be in real good shape. And these are, the, you know, I suppose the problems that are, that are happening. And, and, and a lot of it is it's all coming back to, to the education um, even, I've, you know, I've witnessed, I had troubleshoot at a couple of uh, places I won't know, you know, name who they are, but, you know, said, oh, we're having, we've just got this flavour and different things, and you look at their taps that, yeah, they've got a system there that they're doing their lines every Tuesday or whatever it may be, but they have, they've never cleaned their, actually, you know, you look in their tap and it make you sick to look at it all. They're, they're banking up their biggest two selling beers, they've got a bank of three kegs they're never never letting that run out you know and that that the some of the beer that would be in there would be you know absolutely months old so um yeah then they're not cleaning the transfer leads you know there's there's all these little things and it's all coming back you know there's a big there's a there's an educational issue that some some of these people have come from different sectors they might have been you know, um, accountants or whatever and they fell in love with drinking good beer and all of a sudden they, they own a venue but um, what do they know about running it? And if they haven't got the right staff who do have that experience, and these are, these are the issues that are they're happening, you know, all too often. Um, we probably need to bring this session to a close. So I'd like to, if everyone could thank uh, Darren, uh, Corey, Tony, Brad and uh, Ed. And, and guys, thank, thank you very much for, for, for joining us and uh, hopefully you can hang around for anyone that's got a few questions one-on-one. Um, but... I, it's been a real pleasure having you for, for an issue that really, uh, I, I guess I didn't set it at the, at the start, this is an issue that can really, no matter how popular craft beer is, if it starts getting a bad taint because beers are having a bad taint, that can really uh, hurt everybody um, who, who, who loves beer. So, But thank you very much for joining us. And uh, if everyone wants to recharge your glasses, and then we're going to finish with a uh, just a quiet fireside chat with Brennan Virus, who we teased you with uh, not so long back. So thank you very much, and uh, um, thank you to the panel. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. There you go, Pat. Uh, <laughs> there you go, Pete. Um, mate, look, I, I, look, I've thrown you, haven't discussed... I? I've thrown you. Yeah, 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 I'm still, <laughs> still recovering. Um, look, this is just to let you in a little production secret. We don't actually go back and listen to the discussion. Um, we just go straight into this while you... So th- th- this is two seconds after... Ah, oh, now uh, we're going to destroy the magic that is Radio <laughs> Brews News. Yeah. I'm sorry, children. I know it all... Matt's just brought it all down today. Well, you know, I've already told them there's not a beer fairy that just sprinkles angel dust on everything. And you know, just cause something hey, good, you and I it's... both know that the beer fairy does exist. And quite often when we get home from a hard day out, there's a nice little box sitting on the, the doorstep from the beer fairy. There is. But unfortunately, sometimes the beer fairy leaves... Fairly ordinary beers, probably. Oh, that's all. Again. <laughs> anyway, 
Um, yeah, look, thank you very much to, to the panel who did that. It was, it was you know, really great to have such a uh, esteemed panel of people who, you know, work in beer day in and draft systems day in, day out and really know their stuff. So um, hopefully there was uh, uh, quite a bit of interest for everybody. Yeah, and who, and the, the discussion can kickstart um, the conversation now about how we, you know, we, we don't just accept um, or, you know, brewers who put a lot of effort into making sure the beer is absolutely right. It's that last metre and a half before it gets into your glass that can sometimes be the difference between, um, you know, a beer that they're proud of and, and a beer that just, you know, hasn't made it the distance. So um, if um, and knowledge is power. So if we can, if we can get people to understand uh, where things can go wrong and how to fix it, everybody's happier. Yep, absolutely. So, uh, well, mate, look, I don't think there's too much need to discuss that further. We might just go straight into Lockie. Let's see if you're listening this time, Lockie, because if you, you left me hanging night. last. You left me hanging last week, bro. Um, you were the fat kid after the game was over, and just still stand there with your hand up for high five. <laughs> Waiting for the high five. Yeah. Listeners, if you heard last week, you might know what we we're talking about. But uh, Lockie, cards and letters. Oh, that was much better. That almost <laughs> made up for forgetting last week, Lucky. Okay, so no iTunes feedback. Um, listeners, don't forget, you can help us out, help a brother out. Don't leave us hanging. Uh, leave a review. If you like what we do, a positive review. Otherwise, give us some uh, you know, stiff uppercut and uh, yeah, perhaps, a bit perhaps of Perhaps this week's episode, Matt, is not the best one. You know, Yeah, three stars. Normally a lot more positive. Uh, but <laughs> seems to have delved, dived into a malaise of uh, you know, nitpicking. Anyway, well, no, bring it on, <laughs> bring it on, because like, I'm a nit that gets picked a lot, prof. So I'm, I'm you know, I, I, and, and I embrace it. I don't think I've ever been upset about it, except you know, being described as turgid. <laughs> I think we've gone from an old married couple to a, a sort of a, a Vegas B grade showroom vaudeville uh, <laughs> novelty act. We're like this all the time. Um, okay, but there have been a few emails. Uh, Mike, uh, let's see, Mike O'Shea or Mick O'Shea. Um, hi, Matt. Love your radio news bulletins and the podcast with uh, Pete as a regular listener. <laughs> so now, Mick, I might just get you to clarify the syntax of that. Because... He, he bounces around from topic to topic. Oh, no, sorry. That's his what? brother, Rick. I know, and the podcast with Pete is a regular listener. Now, I'm not saying whether Mick is a regular listener or whether Prof is a regular listener and whether Mick's actually having a chip that I don't let you say anything and that you just have to listen. So um, I'm going to take it as the former, that he oh, likes the my positive. podcast oh, with good. Pete, comma, as a regular listener. Keep up the great work. Um, and then just a bit of tongue-in-cheek uh, feedback on the Stone Beer article. That was an article that James Atkinson did last week. Um where I think James made a mistake and he described it as the stone beer is available in 50-litre bottles um, when he meant to say 50-litre yeah, kegs. the six-packs of, six of bastards to get home. <laughs> there have been quite a few people who have been wanting to uh, get one of those 50-litres. So thanks, uh, Mick. And, yes, uh, we have duly ribbed uh, James Atkinson about his uh, uh, you'll, you'll leave out. Uh, you'll leave out one little M. 
<laughs> there was a lot of discussion on uh, Twitter as well. So uh, James is duly chastised. Uh, Alec Weber, um, hi Matt, love the podcast. Great way to keep up to date with all that is happening in the world of beer. And I think you balanced the chat with the big boys nicely with some of the smaller brewers. Uh, thanks, uh, Alec. That's actually what we um, do try and do. You know, um, there is a lot of interesting happening and getting the thoughts of the of, of the big guys is a big part of what we do. So uh, glad you appreciate it. Um, cheers and look forward to listening to this week's podcast. So hopefully that wasn't a disappointment for you. Now, Prof, um, you, you did allude, and I know that we've been going for a while, but it's a bumper issue. A lot of people have a long commute. So, uh, you know, l listen to it over a couple of sessions, listeners. Um, now, what sort of feedback did you get? Yeah, you've, you've, you've had, I, will, uh, I will expand in, in, um, in future episodes, but the just the... Overall, number of people who came up to me, took me aside personally and said, uh, you know, I've been listening to your podcast, um, you know, for forever, uh, really love what you're doing, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and then in particular, the tap contract one, which went up the, the day that Gab started, so the day after the awards, I think. Is that right? Or was it the week before? Yeah, well, yeah, no, no, I, I, I actually Sorry, got yeah. it up Friday. Yep, yeah, yep. No. so that went up Friday. So the Saturday, the Friday night and the Saturday, there was just hundreds of people uh, coming up and sort of saying, really good, you know, great discussion, uh, really learned something, all that sort of stuff, keep up the good work, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, so, uh, and a lot of people just sort of, I guess, uh, loving what we do. So I'll expand on that further, you know, once I sort of get my head around it all, but... Uh, any entries in the uh, where Matt needs to lift his game or do something different? Sorry, this sorry, week? you're just just breaking up again there, Matt. <laughs> no, 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 no. Connection. Hello, <laughs> hello. Uh, just cut this bit out, Lucky. Is your chance to be negative oh, without feeling out. bad about raining on anyone's parade? Mate, I just, I can't. I could, I can't say a bad thing at the moment. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just too, I'm just too high on, on. Yeah, you know, it's the, it's the vibe. It's Marbo. It's, it's just the vibe. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But there, yeah, there, there may have been a couple of comments. Oh, just, just share one. I don't know. No, sure. Okay, share one. Uh, we, keep, we don't want keep, to... keep keep at it. Keep up the good work. Um, particularly sometimes when when Matt goes over the point a couple of times, it's good to see you you sort of chipping in and going. Yeah, it's time to move on from that. Is it? No, no, I mean, yeah, no, no. It's a it's uh, a fair it's comment. We can sometimes I've... get into a bit of a loop. I know. I'm guilty of it myself. <laughs> Oh, and, and mate, and, and I'm listening back to the podcast. Uh, I've actually noticed you doing that yourself, and me sort of, you know, <laughs> there's a horse. Sometimes you even hear me. No, I, 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 and, I, and it is like it is a personal failing. Um, I hate being misunderstood, um, and sometimes I like to over-explain. So just to clarify, um, just to clarify, I let yeah, me begin by saying. Well, I, I, I've just noticed if I make, if I sort of say, well, my point is this, I get a million people sort of saying, you said this, but if you don't go, I, I, you know, if you don't counter a lot of those arguments, I spend the next week just answering emails trying to clarify myself. So I'm doing that clarification up front. Pre clarification. Yeah, yeah, pre yeah, yeah, clarification. So, so listen. Have a look. The, just be, can I can <laughs> say, uh, brewers, suppliers, the general public, um, volunteers from uh, Gabs, and we should give them all a shout-out because without them, Gabs just couldn't happen. Um, but they were the, the the full range of people who had um, um, who, who made, the, made the effort to actually, you know, come up and, and say that they really enjoy what we're doing. So that, that, was, that was terrific. I, I, well, we are perhaps aiming at an older demographic because the comment may have come up on more than one occasion. 
We love that you're the only beer-related podcast that doesn't assault us with um, crazy electric guitar music. Actually, which is good. But maybe that's just saying, you know, maybe, I don't know, you know. No, well, when every, we started... Every guitar intro, you've got to have a little bit of beer band polka. Yeah, but like when we started this, what, 92 episodes ago now, we're coming up, rapidly coming up on 100. I, I, I made an absolute choice. I wanted to have something that was a bit of tongue-in-cheek um, because I noticed that all... And at that stage, there weren't too many Australian podcasts, um, but all of the American podcasts started with that sort of thrashing guitar music. And I just thought, well, you know... I'd, Point of difference? <laughs> yeah, yeah well, I'll give you a difference. <laughs> um, papa, um, papa. And, and there, there, there was a little bit, but it was also German themed. Like it was, no, it was you know beer themed, yeah. and that sort of thing. And uh, I have been thinking lately, you know, is it getting a little bit dated? No, but, no, no, don't, oh, don't, ch- no, not the dank, <laughs> not the dank. <laughs> anyway, but uh, no, it, it, it's nice that people feel that way because I certainly feel that way myself. And and we do try and if you listen to we the do end of the show, what we do. Yeah, so so we keep the, the the front theme constant, but the end theme is a is a different, movable face. Yeah. Same same song, different theme uh, face. And then we you know prof you know. So if you come up and uh, say you're sick of the, the of the music, we know you're not listening right to the end. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. But it, it's nice to get support, and we something that I've actually um you know coming up to 100 episodes have always grappled with because I know a lot of people do support us and want to support us, and there there are ways and. You know, having a bit of a anti thing for people who get an idea and before they even instigate it, want to do a possible campaign or crowdfunding, say, you know, completely de-risk this thing for me by giving me money. Um, and I, so I've always been a little bit funny about, you know, setting up a, you know, like a um, Patreon or something like that where, you know, listeners can pledge, you know, $2 for every podcast that we do. And, you know, if we've got 500 yeah, listeners. Yeah. Uh, and nobody got time for that. Um, well, I, I don't know. They're, you know, listeners, you know, we, we're Jim, or you know, we, we are. We've got a range of merch that we're going to put out. You know, our um, patented uh, tongue-in-cheek t-shirts. Yeah, tongue-in-cheek t-shirts, and uh, you know, it's a way for people to subscribe. But, you know, give us a little bit of um, support back to, to help cover the costs of you know, our bandwidth. Is getting uh, actually, I think as you prof saying um, that you know that was one of the things that all the time have started asking for people to sponsor because. Bad with his expenses, yeah. and uh, as we and get more, you, and, and Luke was just saying, yeah, he's struggling with the, the amount of content that he's got, but he can't sort of get it up in a as timely manner as, as he would like with the yeah the bandwidth. Yeah, and, and we sort of fling uh, Lockie some beers uh, as often as we can, as often as we can to cover his time, and, and that's the thing. And it is, it does let us become a little bit more professional and actually make something from this. So we, we might look at it. it, it as like been... you just put in a little ding. You know, like a you know bell ring or something. If you if you do actually enjoy listening back to this shit that comes out every every week, you'll have to speak up. I'm wearing a towel. I, I think he outsources it to the Philippines myself, but you know. <laughs> anyway, uh, but Prof, gee, we're coming up to uh, an hour and forty-five, so it's a, it's a bumper issue. Sorry, guys, uh, but, but that's it's... it. Big, big, uh, you know, good beer week. Um, you know, couldn't fit into ten days. So and there was the just so much episode. good stuff to talk about. Prof, it was, it was. sunshines and rainbows and lollipops, and you know, you know, I'm, we had I'm, to cover that, all I of am that positive, good stuff. We had to cover all of that good stuff and fit it all in. Unless people say that, you know, you're not saying enough nice things about a fantastic week of beer. Yeah. Yep. Prof, no. always. Always. Just always, Matt. It was nice to have a morning coffee with you uh, last it week. It was lovely. Uh, when are we, are, are we going to get a chance to have a beer? You're in Sydney this week. Sydney this week, you, yep. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. If, oh, July, um, when, when you were up for the 
ACC. Uh, CBIA conference. Yeah. yeah. Australian Craft Brewers Conference. Um, 4.0 or 3.0. Which, yeah, it'll be the coincidentally, third. is the week of episode 99, and we're coming up with ideas there around... Uh, no, sorry, it's the fourth. Yeah. Yeah, so and, the uh, Australian Craft Brewers Conference. We'll definitely be up there which for that, we, and the awards, and um, uh, hopefully uh, hang around for a day afterwards, and we'll have a bit of a catch-up. And, yeah, recording the big one zero zero. One zero zero. So uh, more details on that as uh, they come to hand, listeners. But uh, in the meantime, prop always good to chat. Um, or, or, always good to, to hear your thoughts on how I can live my life better. Um, and <laughs> I'll just keep telling. It's the only way you'll learn. <laughs> Thanks, listeners. <laughs>